you made it to level two, deeper questions leading to deeper answers. I'm Tomas Garza, and I'm here to help you decide to transform. I'll be setting the pace for the process to support your unfolding. Learn and commit to a practice that brings simplicity and an awareness of what is ready to be released. Join me now and allow the experience of a deeper sense of love. Hello and welcome to Decide to Transform. I'm your host, Tomas Garza, and I have a very special guest for you today that's going to shed some light on really, really little known yet very important human mental health issues and an arena that doesn't receive the attention that it needs to and, and that it should. So my guest today joining me from Idaho is Mary Coulter. And Mary is a mental health advocate who happens to live with bipolar. She blogs and Instagrams for So Bipolar to strengthen those living with mental illness. And she believes true joy comes from struggling. So Mary, welcome to Decide to Transform. Thank you so much, Tomas. And just as your introduction said, mental health truly is something that's not given the attention that it really needs, especially in today's day and age. So thank you for allowing me to speak about it. Absolutely. It's my pleasure to, to have you here on the show because it's not often that, that I, I get to work with somebody who's a mental health advocate who's also dealing with bipolar disorder or whether it's depression or anxiety or, or whatever that looks like. Now, is this something that you've dealt with your entire life? Um, it didn't really come to a head or did I realize that I had anything going on until I was um, about 19 years old, which is typical for when most people are diagnosed with bipolar. But in retrospect, when I look back in my younger years, I remember always having um, what a lot of psychologists will say is a big sign is I always felt sick. My tummy always hurt. Okay. I always felt kind of depressed as a little girl. I mean, I was a very happy girl, but always went in and out of um, just kind of a depression, low grade depression. If I, if I look back over those years. So, but yeah, after um, 19 years old and now I'm 36, I've, I've been struggling with all the ups and downs of bipolar since then, so. Okay, well, and, and so why is it that there's some significance to the age 19? I mean, why is it that, that that's when things really show up? From my understanding, um, well, one, bipolar is really exacerbated by stress. I know that in my life. So when you turn that 18, that's a big time change in your life for most people. For me, leaving high school, leaving home, going out on my own, going to college. And so that stress really brought out a lot in me. But I also wonder if there's some hormonal, um, you know, we're, there, we're always going through hormonal shifts. And I think hormones mixed with uh, circumstances can really lead to depressive and manic episodes. Sure. So. Yes. And, and then for, for people that aren't familiar with, with bipolar, um, can, could you walk, the, walk people through what, uh, how does it show up and, and what, have what actually causes that? 
So the cause of bipolar is still fair, like unknown exactly. Like they can't pinpoint this gene or this whatever, but um, it is genetic. I have, uh, gosh, I could go down the line of how many people in my family have bipolar. I have Mm -hmm. uh, my great grandma, my grandma, my mom, I had an aunt, um, my nephew, my sister. It's just, it's, it's everywhere in our family, um, family tree. But, um, so a lot of people will say, well, do I have bipolar? I get, you know, I get depressed or sad sometimes. And, and that's just not the case. Like in order to meet the DSM requirements, you have to have, uh, depressive episodes say, uh, for at least two weeks. It's a, it's a time period where, um, it's not just, you know, you wake up and you're sad, and then the next day you're okay, but you're really sad that day. And then the next day you're okay. It, it's it's about um, over time looking at the big picture of, so for two weeks I'm depressed and then maybe I'll swing into two weeks of mania. And mania looks so different for so many people. Um, some people have grandiosity um, where they have this grandiose thinking where I'm, it can get as bad as thinking that they're um, they're literally God and they were sent here by God to change the world when they're in their, in their mania. For me, I don't get up there. Um, I, I, I haven't had huge manic, uh, like psychosis, anything like that before my mania looks more like extreme irritability, uh, uh, anger. Uh, I have had, um, I, I have rapid thinking, so in those moments, I will have, I mean, you hear this all the time of people having a million business ideas and just, it, it comes to them like a fire hose. You know, mm-hmm. I've had some seriously amazing ideas in my life, but what happens is, is then depression will kick in. And then those things usually don't come to, fr- to fruition, but um, with age and with healing of my bipolar, as much as I can, I've, I've been able to take advantage of that rapid thinking and learn how to, um, how do I say, just um, not let it go because of depression, because I know that depression will come. And so just put aside that project for now and visit it later. And you kind of learn to have a relationship with your depression and your mania. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and this is something that, that uh, no matter what, someone's um, depression or mania may look like, right? This is, there's an alter, there's an alternation between the two, right? Right. Okay. So in, in your experience, do you tend to have one or the other for a certain period of time? Yes, my depression will last. I had a depression that lasted for probably about two years. It was so severe. And um, I mean, I, I was physically and mentally, emotionally, everything just completely depleted. I had, I felt like I had nothing left to give. I mean, and I, this was while raising three, three small children and they are my world, my everything. And so (laughs) to not be able to be the mother that I wanted to be for those couple of years while we were, I mean, I was in doctor's offices, no joke, like once a week calling them all the time. Why am I feeling this way? What is going on? Um, and I just, yeah, it was exhausting. And then as far as mania goes, 
Um, I, I don't experience mania as long as depression. That's not, I mean, I didn't have a manic episode of two years by any means. And, um, Mm. but, um, I've had a few weeks before where I did get quite manic, where I wouldn't sleep for like three days in a row, just didn't sleep. And if I did fall asleep, I would have, um, I kind of describe them as full body shocks that would like wake me up and I just couldn't sleep. It was horrible. Again, with three small children, especially a baby at one time was very difficult. Um, and, and then hypersexuality is another thing. That's one symptom of bipolar that doesn't get talked about. I think it's because it embarrasses people or something for some reason. Sure. It is a very interesting, like when I went through that, I was just, it was intriguing to me in my mind because I'm, I, I guess you would say I'm a normal sexual person, whatever that is, but in bipolar hypersexuality, it is like, you cannot think about anything else. I mean, it was pretty, pretty crazy. Um, and I've gotten a lot of messages from people over the time that are like, oh my gosh, I had no idea this was bipolar. That is exactly what it feels like. I didn't, you know, I didn't know. So it's, it's interesting. Um, yeah. So, um, but just, I just don't have those symptoms as long as the depression, the depression is what has in many ways in the past controlled my life. Um, but in, in more recent years, I've, I've, I'm doing wonderfully um, and haven't been, haven't experienced depression in about three years now, which I can say is the first time in my entire life that that has ever happened. And it's been incredible. So that's got to feel really good. Oh my gosh. Yes. And my whole family too. I mean, you know, we talk about how one in five struggles from a mental health condition, Mm. but it's, and you think, but really everybody does because everybody knows somebody who's struggling from it. And the ripple effect that it has on the lives is incredible. I mean, I feel like I've been given a, a new chance with raising my family since, since getting the help that I needed. Okay. Yes. Well, I'm, I'm happy to hear that it's been three years since you've had an episode. And, and again, that really has got to feel great. Uh, you know, it's very interesting that you mentioned the ripple effect that, that a me- mental health has on lots and lots and lots of people. So what has worked for you? You mentioned healing a little while ago. What have you done? What, what has worked for you? Well, this is, this is a huge question and I've got a lot of answers for that. Okay. The, the first and foremost thing for me that we needed to get in line was my medication, mm-hmm. my medication and people who, um, have mental health conditions will completely understand what I'm saying with this, but it's not like diabetes. You don't go and say, I have diabetes. I need insulin. And this is how much insulin you should take. For people like me with bipolar, we go and they say, okay, well, we're going to guess that lithium will work or this drug will work or this drug. And you just throw it at the person. And a lot of times there's a million side effects that are horrible and or make you worse. And in my case, I just so happened to get the luck of the draw where things got a lot worse for me. And then they try adding some, subtracting some. And before you know it, you have this cocktail of medications that's like five meds then you don't know what's causing what, what, what symptoms and you're dealing with withdrawals, all that kind of stuff. 
So I said, okay, let's um, get my medication in order. My husband ultimately got us a flight to go to Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Okay. And um, where and, and the only reason why we decided on them was because we thought they have a reputation for having some of the best minds in the medical fields. So sure. Yeah. And lo and behold, we were right. Mm -hmm. We went and um, they did some genetic testing on me where um, it's kind of a new thing and hopefully will be the future of medicine where um, they just, I believe it was a cheek swab and they, uh, they see how my, it helps show the doctor what medications my body will metabolize the best. Okay. And so it really helps to eliminate the guessing game. And sure mm -hmm. enough, it was literally weeks after I started the new medication and it was like a light switch went off and I, I'm, I literally had been a faucet of crying for two years. Like it was, I call those my crying years and I haven't cried since. Okay. I mean, I've cried for different, you know, life reasons, but not because I was depressed for no particular sure. Right. Situationally, not constantly. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. So that, that was the key to giving me what I needed to be able to turn the rest of my life around. And then, um, so that's one piece diet and exercise is huge. I, um, I practice Pilates every day. Okay. It's a wonderful, um, because it's, it's breath work. You have to use your breath work and that's, as I learned from Mayo Clinic, very important to our nervous systems. Um, eating well, I um, I think this probably goes for so many different um, ailments or disorders. But you really, truly, your body needs healthy food to be able. I mean, you can't yeah. function without a good diet, good nutrition. Mm -hmm. So yes. I changed. You know, not drinking alcohol nearly as much as I I, I had. Um, mm -hmm. I never had a problem with alcohol, but I just. I really, I mean, maybe once every few months, I'll have a glass of wine, um, eliminating caffeine, all that kind of thing. Um, another huge thing, um, that changed me on so many different levels, um, was my spirituality. Mm. I actually went to a, um, a marriage retreat, um, not long after I had my new medication and, um, I'm Catholic. So there was a priest there. And he was an exorcist and huh. I was fascinated because that's just always been a fascinating topic to me. And I have literally, because of the stigma surrounding mental health, I have heard from multiple people. Well, I don't think bipolar is real. I think that you, like, I think that there's a spirituality aspect and that perhaps there's a, some kind of possession or some kind of, um, family evil spirit that's being passed down and that kind of thing. And while I don't, I don't, um, say that that, okay, that's not possible, but I also just FYI bipolar is real. Like it is a very, I mean, clearly that I took medication and got better, but, um, I wanted to know from the exorcist mouth himself, I said, you know, look, this is what has happened. My um, sister uh, who has bipolar one has experienced extreme hyper, what do they call it? Um, hyper spirituality where the mind, and you hear this from many people over and over again, the mind becomes like obsessed with spirituality. Um, you know, seeing, seeing angels seeing the devil that kind of thing it's it's something that's very not i don't want to say very common but from what i hear common in mania 
So I was like, what is this? There has to be, is there a spiritual connection? And I told him my story and he said, Mary, you, you have bipolar. And I believe that there's nothing that I can help you with. I am a, a spiritual surgeon that helps like the top 1% of people who have a spiritual condition. What you need is he said, go to adoration and go to confession. And that I believe that will help you. And for those of you who I'm sure a lot of people don't know what those two things are, but the Catholic church, we believe that the true body of Christ is there in adoration. And so it's going to spend time with Jesus, essentially, yeah. um, a form of meditation. And then um, confession is when we believe we don't confess our sins to a priest. We believe that we're confessing our sins to Jesus himself. And um, so I, you know, I grew up learning about um, my faith and everything, but I, uh, for some reason, it really stuck with me when he said it. So I started to go to adoration like once a week. And then I started going um, twice a week. And then before I know it, this was like three, you know, like two and a half years ago, maybe I try to go every day that I can, because the peace that it has given me is like indescribable what it has done for me. And I don't share this often because many people, I don't know, a lot of people aren't open to talking about spirituality I, I have found, or they get off put by it. Um, but I, it is just as big, if not bigger to me than the help that the medication gave to me. It's been huge. So, um, yeah, so that's how I feel like I've healed from bipolar and recovered because you really truly cannot. A lot of people will say, look, I'm taking this medication, but I still, I still don't feel a hundred percent. And I'm thinking, well, you can't just do the medication. There's so worse. We're such a, a complex being. We have our bodies we have to nourish. We have our sp spirituality that has to be nourished. I mean, so much of it, it's, it's all a big picture. So. Yeah. Yeah. And well, you're on the right show for talking about spirituality. Um, yeah. These, <laughs> these listeners um, are completely down with that. Oh, <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's really, uh, that's really quite, interesting you said a lot there that is really powerful that it is a complete picture where we're complete so it's not just medication or it's not just one component or another and this is a it's the peace that that your practice brings is is absolutely huge i know that there are people out there right now that needed to hear that mm exact yeah. thing yeah they, they most certainly did now you are an advocate correct for the genetic testing that you received at, at the mayo clinic now this is relatively new do i understand that right yes it seems as though many doctors don't know much about it in fact the practitioner who i was seeing at the time so with mayo clinic you keep your local practitioner then you go to Mayo Clinic and then that doctor is, is like a, your co-doctor. That doctor will work with your current doctor to come up with a plan. And my doctor at that time said, nope, this is gonna blow up in your face. Actually, she didn't tell me that. She told me to leave the room. She told my husband, she said, this is gonna blow up in your face. She's gonna get worse. I would not use this medication. I would not 
this, this is not going to work. But we went against what she said and went with Mayo <laughs> Clinic and thank goodness. Well, now I have a new doctor, needless to say, but, I gotcha. um, <laughs> but, but yes, it's, it's so a lot of doctors don't know about it. Um, it's huge. I've actually been working with a company who's a, a worldwide company who says they are working right now to make this the future of medicine, especially with mental health. They're hoping that the whole, um, everybody's mental health file has their genetic testing done. So, cause quite frankly, this let's, let's pick a med and hope it works is extremely dangerous. It has suicidal effects. I've taken medications that have made me suicidal almost immediately. It's very scary. And you give someone a medication that makes them suicidal. Let's say for example, um, my nephew, for example, 16 years old has bipolar. They put him on medications. I don't know this for certain, but my, my 16 year old nephew did commit suicide and he was on different medications. And I think that could have possibly been one of the reasons he was on a medication. I know that I had taken that made me very suicidal and genetically perhaps were the same. So it just angers me that, you know, not all doctors are doing this. Every doctor should be doing this because it's one more tool that we have to help people and to not, because it's torture. It is torture mm -hmm. taking these very potent medications that, that just, I mean, they do, they can destroy lives if, if, if the side effects are bad enough. So, well, well, I'm very sorry to hear about about your nephew. And you know, you just mentioned that you've been suicidal from medication immediately. How did you get out of that when when you were in that situation? Oh man, um, with the absolute love and support, and holding my hand every step of the way of my husband. My husband, he just, I mean. When you get like that, having somebody right there next to you supporting you is everything because there have been many times where I just, I was exhausted and I felt like I couldn't go on anymore. So having somebody to lift me up um, really helped a lot. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's wonderful to hear. Yeah. My husband and I have a, um, we live our life, our marriage. Um, we compare it to uh, Buffalo. Uh, buffalo are one of the only animals that when a storm comes, they herd together and they go through the storm. Unlike other animals who will find coverage and, you know, um, go hide from the storm because they know they'll get to where they're going faster if they go headstrong into the storm together. So my husband and I, we were always saying to each other, okay, be the buffalo we're going to come together. We're not going to hide from this. We're going to keep going and we're going to get where we're going faster together. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, there's a lot to, um, there's a lot in there, get where you're going faster together and, and the support network. Cause you must see people all the time that don't have that support. Oh yeah. Yeah. A lot of people. Well, and two, I think it's people, um, I think because the stigma is so strong, yeah. People will tell me, look, I can't tell anybody. I can't, I can't mm. tell even close family they won't tell. Or a lot of people who are in high profile jobs, like being a doctor or a lawyer will contact me and they say, I can't tell anybody because my life would be ruined. My career would be ruined. And unfortunately, 
Um, you know, and I don't know how true that is. I don't, I don't know if things are changing, um, where people are more accepting or, or what, but, um, there's, it's also the misconceptions of what bipolar is. So. Okay. Well, this is, um, and it affects a broad cross-section of people. Like you said, you've been contacted by professionals, doctors, lawyers. Let's talk a little bit about the, the stigma then, because this, this is one of the purposes of, of, of people bringing this to light and making it something that we can talk about. At, what, uh, what does the stigma look like in your experience? Um, just people, well, one thing that I get a lot is I'll say, yeah, I, you know, it'll come up in conversation. Yeah, I do have bipolar. I, I blog for it. And, and they, I do not, I know they do not mean it in a mean way at all. And I don't hold it against them whatsoever. But the biggest comment I get is, oh, well, you don't look bipolar. And I'm like, well, what, that's interesting. What, you know, what does that mean that I don't look bipolar? I, I don't look I, I'm assuming they mean crazy or like I'm not wearing my straight jacket that day. I'm not sure, <laughs> but it's, um, you know, there's, it's, it's a misconception. There's just not education out there that are teaching people what bipolar looks like. I think people think that bipolar people with bipolar run around just manic or depressed all the time, like this creative genius that gets portrayed in the movies. And that's just not the case. I mean, I live a very normal, joyful life now. You know, I had my my bouts of depression and some mania, but that's those are those are sections, just chapters of my life. And um, you know, it, it's not who I am by any means whatsoever. So I, I think that's the I do think the stigma is still pretty strong in that as vocal as I am. I've only met like a handful of people who have said, and they won't say it out loud, but, oh yeah, I have bipolar too, you know, um, because people just don't want to say they have it. So okay. there's still definitely that stigma. <laughs> uh, right. And, and there's also a lack of, of understanding in there in the general population about what this really is and what causes it and, and how people that are bipolar deal with it and how they suffer from it a lot of people don't know so you know you are there a lot of people that that contact you that are in the position that you just talked about that they cannot publicly state um i mean i wouldn't say a ton of actually you know honestly yes i it is quite a few people who and not even doctors or lawyers or that, that sure. thing but any job, because I think it makes them feel like what they're saying is I'm unstable. Don't, you know, um, and yes, we do have our moments of instability, but I argue, doesn't everyone in some way, I mean, you know, like if you came to your, if you had cancer too, let's say, in, in your job, you're going to have to take time off for chemotherapy or you're not going to feel well. It's yeah. the same thing as with bipolar. I mean, we might have our, our, months or whatever there but honestly I've seen a lot of compassion over the years I cannot even explain to you the amount of love and like just pure empathy and compassion that I get from people for the most part the response I get from people is very positive and says well thanks so much for sharing that with me um, my cousin has it or my my brother or my dad and it honestly I have felt 
more loved, more love than I ever could have imagined in the years since um, saying that I have bipolar. Um, it's it's really been quite remarkable, and I feel like I've gotten to be I'm just my genuine self like I I love that I get to say this is who I am I don't feel like I'm hiding anything whatsoever and in that has been also very healing for me um just being my authentic self <laughs> yeah I, I can imagine that is and I can also picture it's really easy to picture somebody that hasn't uh, that is, hasn't talked about it and is nonetheless undergoing that life uh, as really, really suffering. So when someone comes to you and reaches out, well, what, do, what is there a typical process? What do you do? How do you work with these folks? Um, well, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a professional. So when you say work with them, I just be their friend. Okay. Mm -hmm. I listen to them. I, um, I mean, it's mostly just listening. What I found is people need someone to listen to them. They, they have so much pain and they don't have anyone to talk to. So most of the time, like I'll, um, you know, I'll e I email back and forth a lot and just say, and just give them hope. Like this is, these are the avenues you can take. Don't give up, keep doing this. Or sometimes I'll jump on a phone call with them and just, I mean, I've made quite a few friends over the years through this because you learn people's hearts and their fears and their, um, you know, and this isn't just for someone like me who has it. We need more people in the world who aren't even suffering from this, but who are just willing to listen to people. Um, it, I just noticed that as a lack of nobody understands or nobody, nobody wants to listen. So. Right. Well, and you make a really good point that applies to the population at large. Um, people are, are all too often listening so they can, or uh, appearing to listen, I should say, so they can say something <laughs> and not really listening to what someone has to say. So it's wonderful that you're able to be that person for a lot of people. I I'm sure that that has, has benefited them greatly. Well, it has benefited me <laughs> just as much, if not more. I mean, yeah. it, it's truly healing. It's, it's like, you know, an, an AA, how they tell you, like one of the steps is, I think you, I, I've never been, but they tell you to um, mentor somebody and that's part of your healing. It keeps you on top of it. And that's yeah. kind yeah. of, I think what I've adopted. <laughs> right. Yes. With AA, with NA, I mean, it helps keep you, uh, well, it helps keep you sober, really, right. is, is what I've heard from people as well. And that seems to be the point. So that's really healing. That, that's, that's really, it's quite remarkable that there are people like you that are out there that are willing to be that ear for people. Because like you said, that is what people need, no matter what they're going through, mm -hmm. is someone to listen to them. Right. Now, are there statistics about how many people say in the United States have bipolar? Do oh gosh, yes, there definitely are. And if you did a quick Google search, it would show you. I want to say it's something like one in 20, but I could be wrong. So don't okay. quote me on that. Um, but yes, there's, there's quite a lot of statistics out there for bipolar. Actually, 
one statistic that jumps out in my mind that I do always remember is um, the divorce rate in people with bipolar mm -hmm. is something like 90%, which is huge. I mean, huge to have a 90% divorce rate. But um, uh, with that said, though, that's something like my husband and I were on the WebMD documentary, um, Married to Bipolar. And it's something that we're very passionate about of like, just because you have bipolar does not mean you're headed for divorce. You know, it actually, my husband and I have a, an outstanding marriage. I love our marriage. I love being married. It's, it's fantastic. So it's not a death sentence to your marriage. So. Wonderful. Yeah. Now you were on the WebMD together, correct? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. We and the, the, the title again of, of that segment is. Uh, married to bipolar. Married to bipolar. Okay. Yeah, wonderful. And so people can go and then they can check that out. How long is the documentary? Oh, it's, I don't know, something like seven minutes long. It's not very long. All so right. it's an easy watch. <laughs> it's an easy watch. In other words, people have no excuse, right? It's seven <laughs> minutes. Come on, guys, you're listening to this podcast. It's longer than seven minutes, right? So <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I, I love that. So uh, now you also blog and you you Instagram um, and your Instagram page is a, a big place where you make contact with with people. Um, how can people reach out to you if they'd like more information either about bipolar or they just want to talk to you? The best way is through my Instagram. So underscore bipolar. Uh, just message me, um, and I, I I'll get back with you. Okay, and that Instagram handle again, so underscore bipolar. Okay, yeah, that's the best way to reach you. Okay, well, you know, Mary, we've discussed so, so much, and clearly this is something that a lot of people don't understand. So before we wrap up, a couple of quick questions. Uh, may not may not be a quick answer i don't know but you know what would you say to uh, to people in general about bipolar is there a message that you have for society at large um that would be bipolar is no different than any other kind of condition and that it you can live a fully amazing, joy-filled life. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you're, you're doing that. Yes. yes. You're, you're, you're conclusive proof that this is indeed possible. Okay. It wasn't easy getting there, but I am indeed. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's never easy getting anywhere. It's always a process, isn't it? Yes. And just, and never, ever, ever, ever giving up. If one thing doesn't work, try the next. If that doesn't work, try the next, just keep going. Mm -hmm. Well, and this reminds me of, of one of your, your favorite sayings is you're one choice away from living a completely different life. Could you just tell us a little bit more about that? Why is that so deeply resonant with you? Yes. I love that so much. I learned it at, when I was at the Mayo Clinic, it was um, one of the last doctors I talked to, she pulled out a notebook and she drew on the piece of paper, a picture of a little sailboat. And she said, you know, the navigational um, like lines where it shows where the ship is going. Mm -hmm. So you can set it, you're going straight north, let's say. But if you turn the dial just the tiniest millimeter to the left, 
you are going to ultimately end up in a completely different location. And that is how a, a journey with, well, really life is, but um, particularly for me with bipolar and others with bipolar is that you might be headed in a direction where you are just going down and it's getting bad and hard. But if you even just try one thing, let's say like you add in going to weekly counseling, your life can end up in a completely different, more positive direction than the direction you were headed. So there's always hope. Right. Yeah, I love that. You're one choice away from living a completely different life. All right. Well, Mary, what else would you like to tell our listeners as we wrap up here today? Gosh, just thank you so much for listening and um, be there for other people. Uh, there's a lot of pain in this world and just listening to people and being a true friend is worth more than gold. So um, just, just be there for each other. It, it's simple, but. Yeah. Well, and, and the, the simple solutions um, are always, always usually the best solutions and the most profound. So yeah, be there for each other. I love this. Well, Mary, thank you so much for sharing with us today. This has been a real pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much, Tomas. Thank you. This has been, it's really wonderful. So I appreciate your, your candor, your vulnerability with sharing all of this, because I know that there are people out there that need to hear this, whether they are bipolar themselves or whether they know someone who is, there's always something that we can do as human beings to be that ear or to be there for other people. So again, this has been really wonderful. Thank you for joining me on the show today. Yes, thank you, Tomas. This has been Decide to Transform with my special guest, Mary Coulter. Thank you all for tuning in. Have a great rest of your day, everyone. And we'll see you again here soon. <laughs>